Happy New Year and welcome to Unedited, our fortnightly podcast where we explore the opportunities and challenges the retail industry is facing. Now it's time for a quick update from us. So my fantastic co-host Diana Bang is actually off to bring her little boy into the world. So is sadly leaving the podcast for now. So you'll be stuck with just me, but you'll continue to hear me interview guests from the industry where we will be discussing topics that will shed light on how retailers can create a brighter future. So as it's January, the month where people traditionally sign up to the gym and start their New Year's resolutions, today we will be delving into the topic of activewear and that market. So let's be honest, 2020 was a pretty crap year for retail, unless you were in the activewear category. So from lockdown home workout booms in 2020 to us all wearing a uniform of athleisure and loungewear, this category has really been propelled to new heights in the past 12 months. It was already a successful category and it has appeared to be pandemic proof, accounting for a record of 40% of all online sales last year, according to MPD. And we've seen this continue into 2021. So the number of January sellouts so far this year has exceeded that of last year by 15%. And another interesting fact for you, 2020's second most popular when search on Google was when will gyms reopen? So on today's podcast, we have Gemma Cassidy, CPO at Sweaty Betty. Happy New Year, Gemma, and welcome to Unedited. We're thrilled to have you as our first guest of 2021. How are things at your end? Oh gosh, I hope I don't disappoint. Happy New Year. <laughs> Great to be here. Things are good. Yeah, I mean, they're as good as 2021 can be, I suppose. <laughs> Yeah, not a huge improvement on 2020. Um, no, some might argue that a bit of a disimprovement. Yeah, <laughs> 2021, that's how I feel. Absolutely. Um, and I can't help but ask, but do you have any New Year's resolutions? Oh, you know what? I usually do. Actually, New Year's is always a great... I love it, actually, in January. It's fun time, reflecting in the year, what I did well, what I didn't, what I'd like to change. And no, I haven't done a single thing. Get through 2021 live. That's my New Year's resolution. Try, <laughs> try turn, switch off the news. Try as much as I can not listen to, you know, the daily terrors that we're all been being bombarded with. But otherwise, no, not really. I think we all need to give ourselves a bit of a break. Totally. I don't, yeah, I don't think we can be too hard on ourselves and give ourselves too many to live by as we already have too many to, to follow and worry about. Agree. It would be great to kind of kick off and hear more about your career and love to hear about your journey in becoming CPO at Sweaty Betty and how that came about. Yeah, sure. So I'm Irish, as you can probably tell. Well, I grew up, I was born and grew up in Dublin, went to school and college there. And then I always wanted to work in fashion of some sort, but I couldn't draw to save my life. So I didn't really understand what else I could do. It wasn't that much really in Ireland. That was an example. We didn't have the high street head offices that we're you know, so used to in London. So I didn't really know what function I could do. So I did journalism in college. Again, not overly invested in it. Just, you know, you kind of had to do something when you left school. But I was working part time at the time in Oasis. And I was so intrigued with everything that went on from area managers to visual display artists to head office roles. And that's when I kind of started realizing, oh, wait, there's other roles apart from just design. 
Yeah. So I applied for a role there as um, full-time permanent, like as in to leave college, didn't tell my family, <laughs> to be a field visual merchandiser. And so I applied for it because every time I used to get the VM team coming in, the head office team, I used to always assist them. And I just thought they were the glamour things in the world. And I remember thinking I wanted to do that. So I went and I applied to the role and I got it. And I actually left college and started working and I didn't tell anyone. And I remember the dean of my college calling my mum to see how, how I was doing because he thought I was obviously gravely ill because I hadn't been in for so long. <laughs> and that's actually the same my family found out that, that I was working full time. So from that, I stayed with those for a while. And then I think at that time it was Mosaic, I believe, that bought them over if my memory serves me right. And they made a lot of the team redundant. But then I moved on to Topshop and I moved into a head office role of BDA, Brand Visual Assistant which I loved. I really loved it. I was there for about four and a half years. And I remember it was at the time when, you know, Jane Shepherds was at the helm and Uh, it just felt so innovative and so inviting of an environment and everyone who wanted to be there was so ambitious and they just loved their jobs. It was just a really mm -hmm. happy place to work and I made some incredible friends there. And then I kind of really realized that I wanted to be more closer to the product. I started to understand then the roles that were around me. And that was really where my heart lay. So I took a job then in an Irish retailer called Jump Stories. I guess kind of like Marcus Spencer's. It's a, quite a massive chain. And they're in Spain, still in the UK and in Ireland. And very similar to Marks in that they have from homewares to clothing to grocery, etc. So I started work with them and I started entry level, went in as a BAA. But because I had the background, although I didn't have a buying background, I had a background in retail. But sure. I quickly kind of went through those early, lower entry level roles quite quickly. And also working for Dunn's, you know, no offense to anyone listening from Dunn's, but it is known as quite a tricky place to work. So, you know, it was it was training a la Navy Seals-esque. So, you know, very, very hard, very hard place to work. But, you know, it stands to you. It's it's quite a it it's quite interesting place. Actually. <laughs> yeah, it does be good Jed. I imagine it's like I imagine I'd have the same conversation as someone who went to a military high school. <laughs> we could talk about how it benefited us both. So yeah, I really loved it. I knew then that's what I wanted. Like straight away I loved it. I loved the pace. I loved being involved in product from the start to finish. I loved what that meant. I loved the hustle of it. And yeah. then it just really went from there. Then I moved on to a Scandinavian company called Bestseller to own like Selected Um, Selected Femme, Vera Moda, Jack and Jones. They also have a majority, well, at the time, majority share in ASOS, big, big company. So I worked for them in, in Denmark in Branda. And I realized actually that was, I'd taken a wrong step. Although it was quite a bit of promotion, I realized that actually I'd moved away from the mm-hmm. product and again, drilled home. That's what I want to do. Then I started getting the calls from a few people looking to headhunt. Um, I started speaking to the Urban Outfitters group who owned Free People Urban Outfitters Anthropology terrain which is in the UK yes and we started having conversations I flew to Philadelphia a couple of times and I was like oh maybe I never thought about moving to the States but sure and anyway got the role moved there with them for quite a few years as in free people and yet really drove that business internationally and really expanded it and it was such an exciting time and then I moved to the LVMH group for DKNY which was I think probably you know, current role excluded was probably my career highlight in the sense that it was the most aligned group of people I'd ever worked with. It was a pretty special team. You know, the guys of the guys did an incredible job putting that executive team together. And it was, yeah, it was an amazing environment. New creative directors, new direction, also exciting. And then they were actually bought out. And then I started looking at your DKNY and uh, Donna Karen. Then I went from there to DVF 
And I was there when Sweaty Betty started calling. It was through the old CEO of Donna Karen, actually. She was like, there's a role, you should speak to them. And I was like, <laughs> okay, sure, let's, let's have a chat. Yeah, and then here I am. Wow, I mean, some phenomenal brands and also not just the phenomenal brands, but at such exciting points in those brands' lives as well that you've worked for them. Mm-hmm. So what an incredible CV and experience. And and I guess for our listeners as well, obviously your CPO, what, what does that mean? You know, do you mind kind of explaining what that role encompasses and, and what your day-to-day looks like at Sweaty Betty? Of course. So basically you stand for Chief Product Officer. So I said ultimately in a snapshot sentence, I'm responsible for the visual or for the product proposition of the company. So the teams that fall under my remit are, so I have my garment tech team, raw materials, fabric falls under that, print, color, design, buying, and then also production, product development. And then I also look after the global wholesale team. So it's essentially anything that touches product. Wholesale is almost a bit of anomaly under with my role. It's just that I had that experience in free people, so I understand them. So they, yeah. they actually report to me. But the rest of the teams are quite, quote, normal for CPO. So it runs the gamut from the very start of a season that we as a brand immediately start thinking of a season all the way through the product feed on the shop floor. So anything that touches the actual product along the way, that's my job. Amazing. And obviously, you know, Sweaty Betty saw a gap in the activewear market 20 years ago, that there were fundamental things that were missing at the time and that was, wasn't available in the market. How have you seen that change throughout the years? Yeah, it's, you know, Tamara was you know, well ahead of her time. I mean, it was 22 years ago that, you know, she led, she you know, naturally led that active lifestyle and really found that she couldn't find what she needed or wanted mm-hmm. to, you know, carry out, be it a sports or just even keeping fit. So she very cleverly opened her first store and kind of went from there. And it was shocking brands who at the time had a, you know, shrink it and pink it. You know, Nike wasn't focusing on women or Adidas or any of them really. So they would just look at men's bestsellers, make it smaller, make it a pink at the end. And that worked for a very you know, short amount, actually, I suppose a long amount of time, if you look at, I suppose, you know, how quickly in the last few years, niche brands have expanded. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think what changed is that people's lifestyles have changed rather than what they want just necessarily from clothing. I think, you know, if you think years ago, I'm not sure of your age and I'm not getting mine away. But <laughs> if I think when I was young, you know, there wasn't my mom and aunts and whatever, they all weren't going to the gym you know they weren't in the gym three or four times a week or even two times a week you know they went yeah. for some walks and they did you know the odd quote keep fit class but yeah. you know there was no you know <laughs> real focus on that you know they just wasn't there and I don't know whether it was an intimidation or they just they just weren't serviced you know be it from gym to activewear whatever it was but really if you look at it now I mean I don't really know anyone who doesn't focus on their health and well-being from an exercise standpoint now it's way more mainstream so I think that's really what's changed I think people have become much more health conscious and you know previously again going back to my mum's and my aunt's age it was very much weight conscious you know it was weight watchers or slimming world or all about you know American commercials of like diet pills and it was very much that focus so I think that shift which is so healthy has moved into wellness you know looking after yourself, get stronger, be healthier, look after your health, be here longer, you know, look after your agility. And I think that's massively shifted in the last, I can say definitely 20 years and even massively revved up even more so the last 10. 
Totally. I mean, even just the messaging that you see from brands in January and at this time of year, you know, you don't have any of that, you know, be, get yourself ready for your summer body or be skinny or any kind of weight inspired mm-hmm. messaging. It's all about kind of detox self-care. Thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. I know the pressure. Was too great. <laughs> Seriously. Um, but I think you're right. Like, I've never heard that that term that you mentioned, like the pink it thing, you know, obviously just taking bestsellers from a men's range and, you know, just adding maybe mm-hmm. a bright pink and a, a turquoise color and expect that the... Totally patronizing, isn't it? It's, so, oh, it's, it's mental when you think it's of it. It's mental. It's, it's actually hysterical because I feel like there are still some sports out there that almost do that where there's not a huge sure. female backing. Like I am, I always embarrassed to admit this, but I'm a pretty keen golfer. And I, if you ever try and look at like women's golf, clothes they are just Mm -hmm. the most ghastly selection of things that are on the market but it's exactly that like the color palette hasn't changed in 15-20 years there's still a bright pink option and a bright blue and that's really kind of it (laughs) I know it's crazy isn't it it is it's mad and I guess what's also exciting is it's defining that kind of premium and aspirational brand that Sweaty Bretty has done so well. And now kind of where there's unprecedented competition in that space, you know, how do you guys differentiate yourselves from the others that are in the market? You know, I think where we have, and you know, I'm with the company just over a year, so say a year and a half. So I can say this almost from an insider and an outsider. Yeah. You know, so sometimes I think when you get into the company, you can drink the Kool-Aid, you're like, we're amazing because of ABC. You know, but from the outside, everyone's like, that's not at all what you are. But I can say this actually from the outside and also the inside that we really do have that special sauce. I think what we do as a company, which I was so impressed with, at the, you know, from the exterior before I started, was the customer service level. I mean, we fundamentally put the customer first in our business. And I can say this coming from, you know, some massive companies, you know, various CEOs, that that's not always the case. I would say the vast majority, actually, the CEO is first. What makes him or her happy? What does he or her want? And that's what we do. And then the customer is next. But actually, that doesn't come into play with Sweaty Betty. It's what can we do to help our customer? What does she need? How do we put her first? What might she want in the morning? What might she want if she's going for brunch after class? And everything we do is really around her. So it's not contrived. It's not this pretend, you know, you know, we're all about our customer, but we actually aren't, which I'm honestly, it's shocking the amount of companies that actually think that way. Yeah, We yeah. truly do. And if you go into any of the Sweaty Betty stores, like before I started, I went in and had a look in the few and to meet some of the staff. And they're just, they're so passionate. They fully believe in the brand. Their customer service level is so attentive. It's almost like going into a Vuitton store. You know, yeah. you're, but you're buying a legging for 85 pounds. You're not buying seven, you know, a 2,000 pound bag. But the customer service level is still there. So I think that definitely sets us apart. And what that's done over the past 22 years is really built a sense of community. The community are loyal to us, which is something that we absolutely don't take for granted. I mean, it's so special. So I think that's a big part of it. And I also think that a lot of the sports brands, and they're phenomenal. I mean, their turnover, their revenues are insane. But they're, you know, they are a little intimidating. You know, they they are quite preachy. You know, it's it's very much, you know, heavy imagery and, you know, fierce imagery and very dark and, you know, strong and, you know, and weighted. And whereas we're actually, the people who work in the company are the people who shop study Betty. We are all, you know, we take that preachy out of this and we're like, we're all in this together. If you run a, you know, marathon, if you're a triathlete, amazing. But also if you just go every Saturday and you just do a happy yoga, that's also amazing. And yeah. you have a part in Sweaty Betty. And I think we don't preach about, you know, you have to be 
overly fit and you have to be excised and you have to be that to be a part of our gang. We don't have that. Our tribe is much more inclusive. We want, yeah. you know, women from all walks of life, you know, be a super successful CEO, you know, whatever that looks like to, you know, a super successful mom. You know, she's at home with her three kids, raising three amazing kids, looking after her home and also keeping set on the side. You know, so we, we don't want to just go after one person. We really believe in an inclusive community. And I don't think many in this space really does. I think they're brilliant. And I mean, we look to them, you know, for inspiration and innovation. And we're so impressed with what they can manage to do. But without naming names, you know, they are very, very focused on the athletes. And that's their aim. We're actually just focused on women who really want to feel better and look after themselves. It's almost like that historical, oh, we know that having, you know, a professional athlete has always been a successful initiative and that's how we're going to front our campaigns. And, and as you said, it can be mm-hmm. a bit intimidating and, and not inclusive and not everyone can relate to that, you know, whether it's Wimbledon titles or, you know, Olympic gold. Totally. So no, absolutely. It makes total sense that that's why the customer is so loyal and invested in the brand. So, I mean, obviously, active wear as a segment, I mean, it's in the past seven years, it's grown to be worth over 270 billion. But I mean, 2020 propelled it to new heights, which is so exciting, especially for, for you guys. But what active wear products do you see that consumer really caring the most about? And, and from a sweaty Betty point of view, what did you guys really invest in in 2020? And, and what would you say your hero products are? I think the customer, our customer, I think, you know, most active wear businesses are built off this. The fundamental of that wardrobe is a legging. You know, that's, mm-hmm. you can shove on your husband or boyfriend's t-shirt, you know, or you can shove on your girlfriend's sweater to wear of your leggings. But fundamentally, you need your leggings to perform for you. Yeah. So I think that, you know, we are incredibly proud of the leggings, that you know, the assortment that we have. When I look at the end uses, first of all, and also, again, going back to the customer, like, what does she want? Means really, what do I want? I mean, me as in, not me personally, as in the people in Sweaty Betty, our employees, they are our customer. Yeah. So, you know, we ask ourselves, first and foremost, what's important to us? You know, so we want to make sure that they're durable. Like, we're not paying £85 for legging and then have to buy another one in eight weeks' time. Or, you know, we have to buy seven a year because they don't last. So durability is incredibly important to us. And, you know, it's a lot of the feedback we get, which we're really proud of, is the quality of what we put out. It yeah. truly is top notch. And, you know, the investment, you know, I think we all know 85 pound isn't a walk in the park for, you know, a lot of people. But it's an investment in there, which also then ties back to it's an angle of sustainability in that, you know, you're not contributing to constant waste of just buying crappy leggings every six weeks. So yeah. that's super important to us is the durability and quality. And then also, do they stay up? I mean, I think we've all had those leggings <laughs> that, you know, you're in the gym and you're, you know, really attractively reefing your dress up over your, halfway over your boobs, trying to get them to stay on, you know, and then you run for another five seconds and you're pulling them again. Oh, and that is, I mean, so many leggings on offer. I mean, it's fascinating for me that that is pretty much the norm, which is crazy. So we made sure that that isn't the norm for us. So a lot of ours have like the likes of internal waistbands to make sure that isn't something that you ever have to worry about. You can concentrate on the class at hand, the walk at hand, or, you know, your run, whatever it is you want to do, that you're not worrying about your leggings are going to stay up. You know, and also then the opacity, you know, again, I'm always shocked when I, especially in the, the New York, I'm a marketer's dream. I buy into every fad there is. And I used to go to Soul Cycle all the time at a certain oh. time. And I'm behind people on bikes. I'd be like, Jesus. <laughs> they literally 
literally be entirely see-through leggings, but I guess they didn't know because you know you're not looking at your ass and you're working out. And I couldn't get over I couldn't get over it. And it just seems to be the norm. And I would buy them myself. And I you know I remember one time cycling with my husband. He was, he was I was in front of him. And he was like, "You do know that your leggings are entirely see-through?" I was like, "What? No, I didn't know this." Mortifying. It's not my first time cycling with those leggings either. So God knows who else knows I cycle around and see through leggings. So I think that's something else that we're really passionate about. Like we do the, the down dog test every time we get them in. Our poor suffering fit models are like, would you mind getting into a down dog position? You know, so we can yeah. make sure that there's nothing there that you're not going to have our customers embarrassed or, you know, feeling conscious. So we, again, goes back to just constantly thinking of the customer. And again, that's us. What do we want from a leg? And I think that's something that we do really well. And I think, I mean, our hero products, again, leggings. Yeah. I mean, our power legging is, I mean, we just can't keep them in stock. There's a constant wait list. And, you know, we've taken big bets on leggings. You know, we're like, okay, let's hold hands to this. is a big risk, but we're going to buy X amount. Oh, God, please, let them work. And then we're like, oh, Jesus, we're sold out again. And we're like, oh, my God. I thought we way overbought those. So <laughs> we just can't seem to keep them in. We literally cannot keep them in stock, which is, I mean, we're so grateful for. Yeah, but it's again, it's not a hype stuff. thing. It's yeah, it's not a hype thing though. It's not a marketing thing. They genuinely are amazing. You know, they're good. You know, they're good price points for the length that you're going to yeah. have them in your wardrobe. They and they perform. You know, they're amazing. They're really sweat wicking. They're really breathable. You know, they're ninety percent squat proof. You know, which means there is you know you're not seeing your ass essentially. <laughs> and they've got an internal draw cord. You know, which makes sure that they don't fall down. So yeah, we we put a lot of thought into everything that we put out. Totally. And I mean, you wouldn't sell as many power leggings as you guys do if people didn't want to come back and, you know, repeat purchase that product. I think that internal waistband thing is also a really interesting point. I read a stat the other day that, you know, a female goes through 31 different dress size changes throughout her life, you know, and as you said, you know, if you're paying a pound for, or, you know, dollars for a legging, you want it to fit, you know, depending on whether you got to gain or lose a few pounds, you know, so... That's uh, fascinating. I didn't know. 31. Yeah, I know. I was absolutely shocked, but also could... I'd say add another three in there after COVID. So we're probably at 34. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> so obviously from obviously reading the news and, and seeing your guys' results from 2020, I know you guys reported making a profit with triple digit digital growth and revenues, total revenues increasing around 60%. I mean, the fact that that's incredible results <laughs> considering you guys had over, you know, 70 brick and mortar stores having mm-hmm. to close at various yeah. times throughout the year through lockdown. So what do you think mm-hmm. your guys' strengths were heading into the pandemic and also any insight on how you guys had to adapt as well as other retailers? Yeah, I mean, look, listen, thank God this is a podcast because if you saw me, you'd know this hasn't been easy. It's, it's been been quite a year I mean it's none of us are ready for this like we can say we came into this so prepared because of x y and z like none of us saw this coming but I think what we did we did a few things really well I think you know very early on in the game we have really strong relationships with our incredible partners around the globe our suppliers are been with us for many years and even our new suppliers are just they're fantastic bunch and they you know a lot of them are in Asia with by the very nature of manufacturing and they started giving us little updates quite early being like hey you know there's a coronavirus you know could be nothing just something to watch out for so very early we were like you know what let's get a corona task force I remember putting it together being like this is hideous maybe we're being ridiculous but you know whatever let's let's just be cautious and so we would meet once a week we would would look and see what was being delayed was factories reporting any closures 
Yeah. So then what we started to do, we, we, we switched straight away. We started flying our goods in instead of vesseling them in to get them in sooner just in case. We started looking at our production schedule and thinking, you know what, let's just ship in, get them in, have them in the warehouse. Let's just be prepared rather than, you know, wait. Just again, just in case. We still can yeah. change to be genius. We didn't know. We were just preparing. And then in, with a lot of suppliers in Italy, our Italian fleet, which is a real hero of ours, um, come from Italy. Um, our Italian partners then started speaking to us about, obviously, they started seeing us. Yeah. So we had that prep work done to begin with the ve- before the very, very start. And also we came out of 2019 actually incredibly healthy. So we made a few big bets going into 2020. So we'd already kind of increased our stock holding anyway. Yeah. Um, so that also helped. And we also, you know, we have a really amazing team. And it goes from the exec right down to all of the assistants. You know, people, you know, we work very well together. We really band quite well together, which we've really learned in the last year in any kind of crisis. So, you know, come March when I remember Lee, I remember being in the UK and people were still like coronavirus, whatever, you know, and I, I was part of that. I was like, God, my mum was, I remember my mum came to visit me and she brought me a mask. I was like, you've lost your mind. What am I doing yeah. with that? Yeah. And she was like, you, you should wear it. I'm like, wear it? I was like, where did I wear it? That's ridiculous. And I remember she left and went back to Dublin and she left it on the house that I was renting in London. I was like, well, she's absolutely insane. She wants me to bring these in. She actually left them for my staff. Wants me to bring them in and hand them out. So I was like, oh my God, they'd absolutely commit me. And I remember being that blasé about it. And I flew back to New York yeah. on the, I think it was March 10th-ish. And yeah. I remember getting to the airport and being like, oh my God this is way better than any of us realised. And I just, you know, being out of the bubble of being in the UK, we were all pretty safe. You know, we didn't really have to worry about anything. And then I landed back in New York and it was, you know, I'm sure so many of your listeners know New York is the city that never sleeps, right? And yet it was so weirdly quiet, like quieter than after, you know, a lot of attacks the city had. And it was like, what is happening? Yeah. And that's when we realised, oh shit, this is a big deal. So we obviously closed all of our stores March 17th, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we were really, I mean, it was it was a tragic moment in the business. We were like, shit, you know, if we could close all our stores and then suddenly the warehouse is going to have to close because, you know, that's mm-hmm. what the government will make us do. That means we won't have a business. And if we can't do that, if that could last for a year, we'll be cease trading as a company. And it was a really scary time and started yeah. thinking about, God, we're going to have to let all these people go who don't deserve it. They've come out of 2019 and mm-hmm. as an incredible business with incredible staff. And suddenly we're looking at thinking of that. And, you know, and Matt literally within a matter of about, in a week, we were like, oh, wait, the sales are good. Wait, the sales are good this week. Oh, my God, the sales are getting better. Yeah. What? <laughs> and we were like, shit. Like, oh, my God, open. We had a hiring freeze and we had all of these things. We were yeah. like, bring everyone back in furlough. <laughs> bring everyone back, you know, get, take the freeze off. And so I think we, I mean, honestly, so many things contributed to our success. But so much of it was the staff. I mean, this is a, you know, especially when I look at a product team, right? They are a team that are so dependent on each other. And I mean that by you know, buying needs to be with garment tech because they have to be in fits and design yeah. needs to be sitting beside raw materials so they can pick the fabrics and they can hand feel them and, and all of these things that go with the job and they're used to traveling and they travel internationally and they go on inspiration trips and they look for inspiration and that's their personality type in their job. And then suddenly they're sitting at home Monday to Friday, nine to five, staring at a laptop with no interaction. So, you know, it hasn't been easy for any of them, but they have just, I mean, talk about hitting the ground running. They did everything within their remit possible to keep the business going and, you know, going out of what their norm was. Like they, this is known for nobody. And, you know, suddenly we were a retail company and overnight we were an e-com company. Yeah. And, you know, prior to that, if you were going to pivot a business that way, you would start to build the foundations and you would start to really invest in those teams and, you know, invest in technology and maybe additional warehouses. 
we didn't have that opportunity. We literally were like, Rita, today here we come. <laughs> Which, <Yeah>. What? <laughs> you know, so we to just pivot that quickly and have the teams get us there was, was remarkable. And also, you know, our suppliers, you know, we really value our suppliers. We really value our people. It's, it's very important to us as a brand. So we had suppliers work incredibly closely with us on, mm-hmm. you know, increasing initially actually cancelling stock because that's what we thought we had to do. Yeah. And I remember calling myself and the VP of buying, calling every single one of our suppliers and like, we're so terribly sorry, but we have to cancel these orders, which is a horrendous thing to do to people's their income and their livelihood. And they were amazing partners to us and helped us come up with innovative ideas. And if we hold them and we hold the stock and we ship it next year and just went out of their way, we had some suppliers, one supplier in Turkey, we'll never forget it. I mean, he literally called us and was like, can I contribute money to help your staff? Like we were like, wow, like that's just incredible, unheard of. I mean, we, we didn't need it, thankfully, but to even know that we had those partners helped us survive. And then, you know, overnight we called them all again. We're like, thank you so much for, you know, canceling your orders and moving your entire production schedule. But now actually, can we get them back? And we, can we get more? You know, <laughs> they were like, what? And so we again, like, I'm sure they were so pleased with us. But, you know, they, they were like, oh, my God, this is amazing. You're now going to help us survive. You know, so, it was, you know, it's just a banding together. And again, from CEO right down to assistance was pretty remarkable. And so I think. Yeah, I, I'm a long-winded answer, but I, I don't think there's any one thing that had us survive. I think it's a, it's an accumulation. And also, I mean, can't not speak to our customers. I mean, our customer loyalty, first of all, we always knew it was there and that they were, you know, such brand loyalists, which was amazing. Yeah. But they have just really helped us. I mean, they got involved in our community. They've got involved in the classes that we put on to help them through lockdown. And, you know, they've really returned that back by staying loyal to us and continuing to shop through lockdown, which has kept, you know, a lot of people in, in work. Well, exactly. And I mean, the fact that everyone's come together and it's been a, a whole team effort, you know, and the, that's what's driven the success for you guys in, in the last year. And I guess, I, I mean, I'm absolutely staggered to hear, the, you know, how early you guys had a coronavirus task force. I mean, I haven't heard anybody be that prepared. So the fact that you did all of that work up front, I mean, must have also you know, made a huge impact into how you were able to react when the world felt like, you know, headless chickens running around on March when everything kind of ground to a halt. Mm-hmm. So I can't pretend it's my genius. I definitely wasn't my idea. I eye rolled at the idea, to be honest. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. So I can't take credit for it. I, I think it might have been her CEO and her CEO. I can't remember who had the idea actually, but God, yeah, thank God they did. Absolute madness. So, I mean, I guess as well, at the start of lockdown and in March, demand, as you've already spoken to, demand for that active wear soared, you know, in the UK. And as you said, obviously, you had to go back to your supply base and say, look, we actually want more orders. And obviously, where (laughs) so many factories had to close, you know, we've really seen that reflected in the the numbers in terms of the impact that that had in terms of the number of new in products. So in December of this year, there was a 26% decrease in products online versus the year before and that also we were seeing sellouts continue to rise so how Mm -hmm. from your opinion what advice could you give to retailers on how they can capitalize on that rise in demand but also effectively manage their stock holding and their supply chain to meet that it's a tricky one I mean we definitely have to sell out it it is happening it's you know we're we're almost a victim of our own success a little it's very hard. And I'm sure the retailers, if they're looking to get into athleisure wear or they're already in it, mm-hmm. it's really hard to know the demand. Like, for example, I remember last June, I believe it was, there would be a trade call and everyone was like, a bit peace. Like, oh, we ran out of shorts. Like, that's how we ran out of shorts and we didn't buy enough. And we were like, guys, 
were up 540% on shorts this month. We could never have guessed this. Yeah. You know? Like if you had gone to a, you know, a buy sign up, and like, okay, I'm going to increase the stock holding by 1,000%, everyone, just so everyone knows. And everyone okay? You know? There's <laughs> no way. There's no way you do it. People be like, fire her, she's an idiot. So I think, you know, it's, it's hard to manage. I'll be honest, we don't have all the right answers. I think what we've done is, I think once businesses in general really get a hold on their never had a stock or the continuity line, yeah. Because no matter what we think, you know, we have all these ideas that, you know, not just us, and I'm speaking more so my previous world, which are much more trend-driven, ready-to-wear, runway. You know, we have all these visions that people want all of this exciting stuff. And then even Donna Karen, like our runway shows, is so beautiful. But yeah. we really just sold our black, like a million and one of our black ponty pants. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, that's what people want. So as long as you really protect your business from that standpoint, and you really make sure that you have your absolute best sellers. The rest is really nice to have and very important for the brand proposition and for, you know, acquiring new customers and all that excitement. But really, when you look down to, you know, brass knuckles, your business is driven by your never out of stock. Yeah. You know, so there's, very li- there's not that much risk in it in the sense that so long as you have a design, let's just say the black powers, we love them. We know they're amazing. Our return rates are almost non-existent. We know they perform. We know they fit well. We know the fabrics are great. So we're not going to change them every season. We're not going to, you know, add something new to them or remove the waistband or, you know, put a zip on them. That's not going to change. So if we buy a significant amount of them to, you know, in case of factory closures, the worst case scenario will trickle through. We won't sell them all in one day, but we have enough stock for the year. Is it ideal to sell them that much stock? No. But right now in the situation we're finding ourselves in, it's more ideal to have stock than not. Yeah. So I think it's it's a balance. I, I mean, none of us have the answers. I think constant an- analyzation. I think, you know, right now we're moving away from retail, not to say that retail's going away, just with the store mm-hmm. closures and the government rules. We're very much econ focused. And I think it's a change in mindset. You know, previously as buyers or, you know, planning teams, you would wait for a week selling and you'd be like, oh, how did it sell? You know, we have a week selling. So you don't have to wait for a week. You know, if you're selling something on ecom, you're going to know after four hours. Yeah. Like what, after you send that email, four hours later, did anyone, what was the return? What was the hit rate like? You know, how many have we sold? So we can react quicker. And I think people, you know, a lot of us, me including, everyone who is so used to quite, you know, a model that has worked for excellent years, we now have to get sharper. We really have to look to e-com and get the lessons there, which will help us a little bit. And also, you know, the data has massively improved. If you look at what data was 10, 20 years ago, now we have so many tools that can tell us, you know, speed of selling, best selling sizes, change of size curve, change, you know, there's, there's a lot. I think we just, I don't have the answer. I think we're probably, we'll need another year as an industry to really realize, you know, the learnings from this and how we can protect our businesses. Totally. I think there's, there's two things that it really like spoke to me, especially that getting that never out of stock product right you know making sure you've mm-hmm. got stock in the right place it's it's actually mind-blowing to me especially with the range of customers that I get to work with are edited you know how a number of brands they're never out of stock lines they've not actually looked at for years and they don't bring yeah. in the level of business that they should do and and they've kind of been mm-hmm. forgotten about and fallen by the wayside and as you said you know if you know that you've got your black power legging everyone loves it you can put the stock behind it and you know that it's a, a safe investment and it's also looking at you to your point you said something you know 
really interesting because I agree with you that people don't look at them. Like they're like, oh, we have, let's just say, we have the black pear that sells really well, leave it there, never look at it again. Yeah. And it's definitely something I'm not a fan of at all. Actually, as soon as I started in Sweaty Betty, we had a day we pulled one of every single continuity ever as that line. We're like, let's get a model, let's try every single one of it on. What works? What doesn't? What can we change? And that's drastic. Like, if you look at the power, we ever so slightly change the pitch in the back and it just looks better on, makes your bum look better. You know, and it's just these tiny little changes that you consistent, instead of having one pocket on, or sometimes leggings don't have any pockets, we made sure now that every one of our leggings has a pocket. Yeah. And, you know, we looked at what the customer wants. We now, oil are large, we're about to drop the high waist power. <gasps> you know, and the super high waist is about to drop because we were like, you know what? Black powers are yeah. killing it. Our customer wants high waist. Well, ta-da, make exactly. it another thing. Totally. You know, so I think, yeah, it's a balance. But I think, yeah, I, I just, I, I never understand ignoring never in stock. I mean, it is literally what builds your business. Totally. No, it really, really is. And how important as well is innovation, would you say, in active wear? I mean, on that topic of making sure that you're constantly looking at that product and, and it suits the customer's needs. You know, how do you as a brand, you know, ensure that innovation is front of mind when you're developing your product lines? It's, well, I mean, we break our business down into performance and lifestyle, meaning that performance styles have to perform, right? So that's where you think of our performance lines are basically what you're breaking a sweat in. So if you're going to the gym, you're going hiking, you're going running, you're going skiing, anything that we expect you to be able to break a sweat in, that's our performance department. And so in our performance department, innovation is key because there's all well and good and a beautiful legging with an amazing print that, as I said, it's see-through or falls down. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> and then, so it's really key. It's really, really key. Innovation is top of mind. So we have a raw, raw materials team. It's kind of where it starts. So they will work by themselves on developing, but also we're in line with many of the mills around the world on what's going on, what's happening now, what's interesting. Is there, you know, is there a new science coming through, like crystallization within the fabrics of performance fabrics or what sweat wicking with sustainability can we go after? And, you know, it's constantly pushing us things that way and then we also have the designers you know if they're looking at their products and they're like you know what I want to create a hiking jacket that can also be worn on a bike so therefore they know the hood has to be a certain size because you've got to wear it over a helmet if you're going to yeah. be on that bike for a certain time so it just never really stops it, it's kind of I suppose <laughs> it, it's just it's not even just a part of the business of the performance team it's everything it's from the very very start when it comes to raw material development research right the way through to what buying actually pick up from the line because if we don't have the innovation and we don't have the performance and the actual functionality of it well then we are just you know i don't want to name any high street brands name but we're just one of them doing yeah. that feature wear you know whereas that's not what we are that is like functionality and performance and sport and you know allowing our customer to, the ability to work out in whatever way she wants that is our brand so we have to be innovative and I guess it comes back to what you were saying earlier as well about the fact that what do we want? What do, you know, your colleagues that work at Sweaty Betty, like actually listening to what are the requirements for this product and making sure that the product can actually yes. do what you need it to do versus just looking good. So in your opinion, what are the most kind of hyped and trending innovations that you can kind of see brands looking towards in 2021 and, and beyond, would you say? Gosh, I mean, it's never ending, really, which is kind of amazing. You know, there's so many technical labs around the world now that are employed by big brands to work on innovation, as well as their in-house innovation teams. You know, even in the UK, there's Loughborough, which has an incredible 
wellness hub they have like there was everything and anything i mean there's lulu has worked with them nike's worked with them we've worked with them and i mean they are the ultimate experts so there's people like that and then there's also developing insane crazy things and then there's also ourselves as a company as i said developing with a raw material yeah so i think what's the most important innovation I can't really say because I don't want anyone else picking up on us. I would say, I think, the, I think a big one that is no secret to anybody is, I think, you know, sustainability, mm-hmm. be it ethanol or whatever kind of recycled materials that you can put into a performance product. It's really important right now. I mean, you're not going to lack Wexler or about landfill from, a, you know, clothing companies. But, it, you know, we all know it's a problem. And also performance wasn't necessarily always there for anyone because, you know, Lycra is, very very tricky to get in this full sustainable finish so i think that you know where we can do our piece i think performance companies are really looking to be it you know fully recycled sneaker or whatever that is i mean our super scubs are made from recycled water bottles every legging that you buy 17 recycled water bottles is used so I think it's that's a big that's a big part of the innovation that performance companies are pushing towards. And what else is it? Is it you know for bags right now instead of using leather, pineapple skins are becoming you know quite innovative. And there's a lot of testing going on with them. So I think regarding day to day, I think it's the sustainability. And regarding big picture innovation, I think really I couldn't even begin to tap and tell you what it is. I think there's just there's literally PhD students, PhD doctors and labs around the world working on this because it really is where it's going. I mean, people people demand a lot from their products when it's performance. You know, there's pajamas that, you know, help you with muscle recovery at night for yeah. a certain athlete. There's suits that are now going to have this in that. So I think, yeah, waffle over, but it's it's never ending. I think it's very exciting as well as, you know, a category, segment, whatever you want to call it, how activewear has really embraced sustainability and kind of innovation. And hopefully that will inspire other categories and other areas of of apparel and, and, and retail. So I wanted to talk about kind of engaging with the customer via social media or whether that's different other, you know, marketing initiatives. How have you guys as a brand been able to evolve and, and remain relevant, would you say, with your customer whilst gyms have been closed? And, and what topics have you felt have been important to discuss and have really resonated with the customer? In one way, we've probably actually, it's probably helped us. God, I hate to use the word COVID helped anyone, but in the sense that... <laughs> Because our customer can't go to the gym and because they can't go to that class that they love or they're not in their big running group, they've actually looked to us, you know, yeah. to form a bit of a community for this. So actually, actually them not being there has actually engaged us more with them because we, you know, we've always put on, you know, we would do Insta Live or Insta Lives, we would do, you know, Wellness Wednesdays, we had classes we offered and we definitely had a customer that attended them all. But now those customers didn't have well, immediately back in March onwards, they didn't have an option. There was no gym. So we've had a massive insurgence of our customers engaging with us even more in social media. And they're a pretty engaged bunch, to be honest. We have various groups on Facebook that we've seen them create. We have, you know, quite a high, a really high engagement on our social platforms. We put on classes for our, our customers. We do from that, that ranges from hit to Pilates, to yoga, but also then meditation and We've done some talks around a little bit more of mental health. I mean, really, really got involved in our customers' daily lives. And I think what it's done is been what I said earlier about our community being so important to us. It's actually responded it even more. And I think there's mm-hmm. we have one Facebook group, but it's fascinating when you read, you know, we get sent some messages from them about how 
being a member of that group really saved them. That, you know, it was everything to them through lockdown. You know, a lot of women lived on their own. They weren't going to work. They weren't going to the gym. And that became their source of community and support. So we've been lucky in that sense, you know, that they've allowed us into their lives to do that, you know, and they've actively embraced us into their lives to do that. So, yeah, I think we really do. Again, we just really believe, be it in a store, be it on our, you know, our Instagram. We really just believe in engaging with our customers. I think as well, like, as you know, you've said multiple times, you know, you're the customer is, it's always been a community feel when you've bought into Sweaty Betty, like whether that's the store experience or, you know, through your Instagram page and the fact that everyone's in the same boat and the fact that it's almost brought everybody together and have found some kind of, you know, enjoyment and positivity through through engaging with the brand and it's kind of because we're all home too which is kind of which is also a really nice aspect because we're all working from home yeah. you know a lot of those classes are attended by all of sweaty betty's staff and yeah. also the customer and our head office staff and our retail staff and you know that's kind of amazing, you amazing. Think, i mean there's never when when would you have time to go to the gym with your customer you know exactly. so suddenly you're go you're on that hit class that's you know on our instagram along with some of the customer care team along with one of the staff and x y and z store and yeah some of our people from it and from ecom you know and that's kind of magic it must be gold as well in terms of like the insights that you can get from that. Like, how are they outfitting it? Like, what are they wearing? Like, what totally. are they, they love? Like, it's the best customer research I bet you could ever imagine having. <laughs> totally. And, you know, even commerce aside, even the benefits of your business, it's also just so impressive to yeah. see our, how incredibly active our customer is. You know, it's like, holy yeah. shit. You know, again, we are for everyone and it's, you don't ever have to be this way. But I think what, what we've picked up on is, oh my God, this some of our customers are like, they're beasts. Like, they are amazing. Like, they go, they run marathons nonstop. They're doing triathlons. They take tennis yeah. and then they're running, doing a hit class and then they're in Pilates and then they do the meditation. Like, wow. You know, and it's so inspirational. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there was on the fitness app Strava, they announced that there was 108% rise in activity of women aged 18 to 29 in the UK in, in, in 2020. But where those major increases were coming from was running, cycling and, and walking specifically. What do you feel are the untapped opportunities that activewear retailers you know, have and, and can be focusing on in the next year? Because it sounds like, as you said, it is endless. You know, it's funny, we called it quite early, again, not genius, I think a lot of companies did, that if you're not going to be able to go to a gym, you're going to go out, right? Yeah. So we, you know, started immediately protecting into that. So we made sure we had more waterproof jackets. We made sure we had waterproof pants. We made sure we had, you know, water-resistant bags. We started to really push into that because, you know, not all the world, but a lot of the UK is rainy. <laughs> So if they're going to be outdoors and they're going to be going walking, they're going to go running, they're going to go hiking, think about what do they need? What do they want? Okay, they want to be, again, thinking winter. They want to be warm. They want to be, you know, dry. They want to have, you know, comfort. So that's how we set to to really build our assortment for a lot of that. So if you look on our site, you'll see more waterproof jackets. We have hiking trousers. We have base layers, a lot of thermals. And that really was around protecting that customer to enable them to go outdoors. And, you know, we launched our power in a full reflective print in November because we knew that she's going to run at night, it's going to be dark in the UK. How yeah. else can we help her? Oh, let's make it reflective. Again, going back to what is she doing and how do we help her? So I think they're not going to go away. I think they're going to actually grow those categories and they're going to, I think people who might have gone hiking as a, you know, once a year, I think that's not going to be a lot more the norm for a lot of people. 
And, you know, cycling, I mean, if you look at the first few months, I can't remember the statistics, but there was literally not a bike to be had. No one could buy one. No, it was all Which is just crazy. I know, it's crazy, isn't it? Like, to have no bikes left in the country. Like, I just, yeah, it's insane. So, yeah, so I think we also, I think we actually worked with, we put, we had a Strava challenge. And it was, the Strava challenge was, it was over. It was basically, we asked our customer to move for eight hours over 21 days. And then we gave them 20% off if they did. You know, so we encourage people to, to get out there and do it for 21 days. And it had an incredible reaction. I mean, the pickup was pretty remarkable. What an, a wonderful initiative as well that's kind of ultimately doing good, you know, just encouraging everyone to get moving and exercise. And it's not an unmanageable challenge. You know, you've given them 21 days to do that. And the fact that they're going to get mm-hmm. something at the end of that, I can imagine. But again, it goes back to the realism for our customers, right? Yeah. So we said, you know, do eight hours over 21 days, you know, yeah. between it was just, December, I think it was the first to the 23rd. It didn't take, it was in around those days anyway. And you know, it's dark. People's mental health is really suffering. It's a really hard time. Yeah. So, like, if we can encourage our customers to get out there, even go for a 10 minute walk, a 20 minute walk, or do the eight hours in the day, like, whatever works for you, okay. you know, and how do we reward them and bring them back to the brand again? You know, so we encourage them to do it. And then, yeah, I mean, the pickup, as I said, we gave them 20% off, you know, the assortment. And it was, yeah, incredible pickup. So I think we're going to continue to look at those initiatives to make sure our customer is getting out there and, you know, helping them to remain healthy and, and positive as much as we possibly can in the current situation. And I think, you know, there's other sports, but I think going back to the pink and shrink thing that, you know, we haven't ever really tackled. I mean, I don't mean we, Freddie Betty, I mean, as a, you know, as a female group. I mean, you look at like MMA or if you look at boxing or... Yeah. You know, all of those sports, there's nothing really for that customer. And also to your point, you said very early on golf. Yeah. You know, there's nothing overly there. And so what does that look like for a female? And how do we make her feel that she can go to an MMA class or go to the golf range and feel herself and not be intimidated and what that looks like? So we still, I mean, all of us in the industry, we still have work to do. But yeah, it's it's definitely, the work is on the way and it's, it's a different, I mean, it's a different world compared to the way it was even five years ago. Totally. I mean, the options are, it's fantastic. And as you said, you know, there's, there's even more out there and there's even more that we can be doing mm-hmm. as, a, as an industry. But Gemma, just to, to finish off, and this is something we ask all of our guests, what is the one thing that you'd love our listeners to take away from this episode? Anything is possible. If you really have a goal and you have a vision and you know what you want to do, you can get there. You know, and reach out to the other people above you or that you see around you to help guide you if you need a mentor. And, you know, I think I wish I could tell my, you know, tell Gemma of age 23 that a lot of the time your personality is enough to get you there. You know, if you're, you know, if you work well with people, if you show that you want to be there, if you have common sense, which ain't that common, if you have those things, you know, people will want to support you and they'll want you in the business. Make yourself indispensable. Mm-hmm. to your boss or your your you know your colleagues and you know the future is bright so I think I always want people to take away that I hate to say this for anyone who's listening now in the seventh year of college being like what but <laughs> I would hire somebody with experience over a serious long expensive education all day because it has shown me that you've got common sense in the real world and you know how hard it can be in the work environment mm-hmm. you know you know the the reality so I just I guess I always want people to take away that you know, a lot of this industry and a lot of fashion and retail industry is filled with people who, especially in the U.S., had the luxury of, you know, having a, you know, unpaid internship because their parents pay their rent and their parents yeah. pay their, you know, their salaries every year. 
And that's, I think, you know, that's an awful lot of what that industry looks like. And it doesn't have to, you know, worm your way in and you'll find your way. I think that's what I always want people to take away if they hear my career path. Those are very wise words. And I think will really be comforting for a lot of people to hear as well. You know, nothing that can replace hard work and, and building relationships that, with, with people that you, you come across and that you, that you meet. So thank you with this year. Yeah, anyone who's joining, whose college is postponed or they're worried that they're not going to be able to get through that and get a job, you know, don't yeah. panic. There no. are options for you out there. Reach out. You know, the future's bright for so many of uh, so many of us. Like, I mean, the business and athletes are you know, it will get better. And, it, yeah. you know, business will stabilize. There will be more jobs. There will be more college places. So I would encourage people to, you know, pivot. Instead of maybe if you could, didn't, couldn't get to college this year, can you do an internship? Can you jump in and help yeah. somewhere for six weeks? What can you do to get you to your next goal? So, yeah, I think that's Great. probably my, I think that's probably what I want them to know. Yeah, it's funny because I have a much younger brother who's at university at the moment and bless him, obviously, he's in his second year at university and it's, you know, being completely thrown on its head. And I think there's that worry, you know, of like, what are the opportunities going to be for me as a graduate when I come out? And I'm like, literally just make contact with people, try and build relationships, do what you can, you know, especially with the beauty of everyone working remotely, you don't have to have your parents fund you living in London Mm -hmm. or you having to pay those kinds of rents. I'm sure there's opportunity there and you've just got to try. It really is. And also I think a lot of the time when you go through, I mean, I say this like I've gone through 10 pandemics, but a lot of the time when you go through (laughs) hardship or, you know, there's a real shift in, you know, the paradigm in the, in the world, Mm-hmm. You know, there's opportunities will start to present itself. So, you know, the likes of your brother, yeah, maybe their career path right now doesn't look so clear, but there's yeah. going to be so many opp- innovations that's going to come out of this year that we probably don't even know what they are yet. We haven't even scratched the surface. You know, think, look at Netflix. Netflix used to be you sign up and you have five DVDs and then you have to put them back in a box and send them back to them. <laughs> now look at Netflix. Exactly. No, it's, it's so true. Be creative and opportunities are, will be endless, I'm sure. Thank you so much for your time. I really, really, really appreciate it. And thank you for your candor and all the, everything that you shared. That's really, really interesting. Thank you so much. It was lovely chatting to you. As a listener of ours, we are here to support you with the year ahead. If you're a customer of Edited, please contact your dedicated account manager and retail strategist, and they'll do everything they can to support you. For all of our listeners, please ensure that you're subscribed to our insider briefing and sign up at edited.com where we'll be keeping you all up to date on the latest news and strategies. If you've enjoyed today's conversation with Gemma, please make sure you subscribe to keep in the loop with our future episodes. And we would love it if you could tell your family and friends about us. And if you have any further questions, don't hesitate to get in contact with us at unedited at edited.com or tweet us at edited underscore HQ. Bye.